I'm keeping the penis brigade going. Oh, then I guess good. I'm the only one. You, you can I'm never only, have enough penises. I'm the only man around here. I'm the only <laughs> ma- what do we call it? Male positive. <laughs> This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fasolo and Kirik McMillan. Oye, oye, two idiots are now in session. The Honorable Nick Vasolo presiding. <laughs> Do you want me to come sashaying in? <laughs> With your robes. This is quite a bailiff. Uh, you've got a very sultry bailiff there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sexy court. <laughs> sexy court. <laughs> Welcome again to another episode. A few comments about our previous episode before we begin. Thank you to Brian Shellhammer for sharing the episode on his social media. If you guys share the episode and tag us in some way so we can see it, we will give you a call out as well. There were a few errors that we would like to call out from the Rolling Stones episode. That cover of Wild Horses was not Mazzy Star, but instead the Sundays. Thank you very much, Mikey Nas. Yeah, I knew it as soon as I said it, too. Well, you know, to be fair, the singer from the Sundays sounds a lot like Hope Sandoval, who is the front person from Mazzy Star. Mm -hmm. Also, interestingly enough, the version of Gimme Shelter that you had cited, Mm -hmm. where Fergie sang Mary Clayton's vocals. Right. It wasn't from a Super Bowl halftime, but it was from a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show. Right. But the interesting part, do you know who the band was? No. The band was U2. Wow. U2 was playing the set. They went into the Stones song. Jagger came out from side stage, sang it, and then Fergie was the one who did the the rape murder segment. Did you see The Sphere in Las Vegas? Yes. (laughs) Fuck. Yes. I think that is on our to-do list. The next time we go out, yeah. that's. uh, I got a buddy that's going next week, and man, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. The whole place has 166,000 speakers. Wow. Because like Bono said, he's like, we play in stadiums, and stadiums are made for athletics, and they're not set up for music. Right. This place is. Right. That's got to be something. I bet the acoustics are bananas in there. I think that's why they built it. Right. Speaking of Bono, another correction. I just heard a podcast with him, and he talked about the origin of his name. We had, I had said in our U2 episode that it was something Latin, Bonavox, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, no, one of my dipshit friends made it up. Bonavox was the name of a hearing aid company in town. That and sounds about right. he just started calling me Bono. <laughs> that sounds about right. So just keeping the Reddit crew at bay. Right. <laughs> they came after you again. That's eh? right, right. Well, speaking of dipshit friends <laughs> and the memories that they bring up and last for a lifetime, today's band is something that we both share going all the way back to our formative years. We are going to take on Guns N' Roses today. This might be the most hybrid band we've done so far. Well, now, how do you mean hybrid? 
They're not metal. No. They're not grunge. Nope. They're not hair. Nope. They're not punk. And calling them hard rock feels like you've left out. Yeah, they're not Zeppy. A lot Zeppelin of rock. description there. Mm. It's like another amalgam of that shit blended together, yet it's kind of not. Like, I would agree with that because as I'm listening to them, I'm like I'm getting a lot of punk feels from them, and but it's not. Punk is good for what it is, but like mm-hmm. Slash and Izzy and Duff, like those guys are really good musicians. Like they sure. can play their instruments, so it it you can tell the punk like bones in Guns N' Roses, but they're elevated. Yeah, and they're not classic rock like Led Zeppelin, and they're not you know, like like as you mentioned, like they're you're right. It's it's a they're they're a hard like squared peg to fit into a hole there. Right, you you can't really put a label on them. Yeah, they are what they are. They're GNR, you know. There's really not a band out there that sounds like them. Like even, you know, the Black Crows comes kind of close, but not not even because Black Crows really leaned into their southern roots there. Yeah, and they were never as heavy. Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, their second album. But anyhow, yeah, I mean, like they they are like they're kind of a standalone. Right. And that's why they don't fit into hair metal. They were swimming in that ocean. And that Spaghetti Incident album is all covers, and many of those covers are punk originals. They are. And they do a pretty good job covering punk originals. I mean, I think they get that sound out. I've got opinions on that album, but generally speaking, for them to cover a punk song, they do a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that their first album, Appetite, comes out, as we've mentioned before, like in the same two weeks as Hysteria, and they were never like pegged with the hair metal band. (laughs) Interestingly enough, though, Slash did try out to be the guitarist for Poison. I didn't see that. Wasn't good enough, apparently. <laughs> C.C. DeVille had the, uh, Michaels. the better wasn't, skill set. Yeah, wasn't good enough. I guess he just didn't have a good enough cut of coke. And C.C. came you <laughs> right, know, with, with backpacks with, with that really shit. Really pure shit. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I have to go get better. <laughs> and he certainly did. <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking of appetite, this album is an anomaly. I've seen some varying data on this. Again, you get into verified sales, blah, blah, blah. According to Grammy.com, it is the best-selling debut album in U.S. history at over 17 million sold. By comparison, 10 by Pearl Jam sold 13 million. It knocked Boston's debut album off of that title. Pour one out for Brad Delp. (laughs) Listen to our Boston <laughs> Foreigner Ario episode. It's a good one. And now there was another note. I said that cracked rear, <laughs> cracked rear window by Hootie knocked no, these count. guys off. Does not count. Sorry. <laughs> it's kind of what I said, too. I don't give a shit if they sold more. Or not. No, I'm not doing Barrier Island rockabilly. <laughs> Forget it. No. <laughs> Out of here with that. Appetite, I think... And I didn't go through the old collection because it would take me forever to try to find where the hell it is. But I think Appetite is the only album I intentionally purchased. Like, is that a record? No, I mean, like, the tape. And I'm sure I double purchased it. I'm sure I had it on cassette first, and then I had it on CD. But... I never actually said I need to go out and get lies or use your illusion oh, oh, one I see and what two. You're Just GNR stuff. That's the one. I that's bought. the one that I intentionally bought. I think I might have had one of the other ones or two of the other ones yeah. through like the the penny clubs that you got your shit from. But yeah. I never actually like <laughs> sought it out. <laughs> penny clubs. <laughs> what a relic of the past. 
never did a band make so much off of really when you get down to it so kind of little yeah appetite was a monstrous album it deserves its due we will give it its due Mm -hmm. but lies has eight tracks half of them are live the others are old songs yeah, I've got opinions on lies. Too. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, do you just want to get into it, or well, do you before wanna... we before we do, as we're talking about the albums, I thought I would make this make this comment of all the bands that we've done, and this is somewhere around thirty three or thirty four. This is the first band I researched in reverse order. So classically, on all these other bands, I've started with the first album and made my way forward. Mm-hmm. This one. Having not listened to any of this since I was like 18, I still kind of had in my mind, if I go Appetite on, I'm going to just kind of run out of steam. <laughs> like, I'm going to get disappointed. Yeah. If I go in reverse order, I know I've got Appetite to look forward to, and I won't be, <laughs> I won't be judging everything yeah. from that point forward, uh, you know, based on that. Yeah. And it worked out really well for me because this is very similar to a Pearl Jam situation where you had 10 and everything else after that never mm. quite married up. Yeah. Pearl Jam was a little more linear, more like a ski slope. This one was like you'd started at Appetite, you it's hit the R and you banged your teeth on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> And then you kind of came back up and you, you hit the use your illusions, but nowhere near yeah. as high swamped as by appetite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, it was know. a little more of a sawtooth curve than a ski slope. Yeah, but I have to say, being a huge Def Leppard fan and as big as Hysteria was in my life at this time, when I think back of our formative years together, this album floats to the very top. It was always playing. Absolutely. Because I don't know, like, it doesn't seem, it doesn't occur to me in my memory that, like, oh, like, so, like, we're all together and it's like, let's hear, you know, Gods of War one more time. You know, let's, let's put on Pour Some Sugar on Me because that wasn't a hit until much later. And everybody was kind of like, that's not really, like, that, it, for some reason, well, I know what they're, I, I have my opinion on what the reason is, but it, we didn't listen to Hysteria in mass. We listened to this. And we yes. were together all the time. Right. Doing, of the things that appetite that they're singing about th- wants you to do <laughs> yes. and it was like the perfect soundtrack for us and i have written down here appetite was high octane anger great for a 15 year old boy that wants nothing more than to scare the shit out of his parents with bad choices it's the soundtrack for this ethos is the alpha the omega and everything in between it's all we like really should i genuflect <laughs> i mean really though in the back of that fucking Camaro, while we're cracking open, you know, whatever the Miller beer of the night was. Yeah, it could be like genuine Michelob Dry or whatever the fuck we had on our cruising on our way out to Gala. Like, this was the only songs that we're playing. Yeah. And, and that was evident to me as I, when I did eventually get to Appetite and I listened to it, I'm listening to B side songs that I haven't heard in 35 years. Screaming the lyrics. And I knew. Every word. every word. I knew every guitar drop, every drum hit, every yeah. howl, everything. You're fucking crazy. It's like, like the 12th like, song on the album. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, <laughs> and I know every word on something right. I haven't heard in 35 years. Right. Now, that's testament to the immersion we had. And as you opened with, this was an album for us in our teenage years. Yeah. And it absolutely was. And it just, it's crazy how much we listen to this. We were 15 years old yeah. when this came out. And then that's right around the time that you and I started really hanging out with right. you. Like, because we were really like, we're, I'm, I'm ready to make bad decisions. Are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been waiting for you all of my life. <laughs> 
I've got a partner in crime. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go get 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 your fucking guy named friend and have him pile us full of fucking drinks and then God go karting. <laughs> and fucking drunk driving at fifteen in a go kart, just totally geezed up. <laughs> And this was the this is the album that we did it to. Yeah, absolutely. Bar none. The album cover alone was great. Yeah. The the skulls on a <laughs> on a cross. In terms of record sales, I wonder if they benefited from the fact that this came out when cassettes were still a thing and CDs were just beginning. Did that have any impact on the numbers here? Because those of us that had it on cassette, when we moved to a, a CD, many of us, myself included, bought the CD for yeah, it, and I wonder if there. that if that had any impact. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think it was all relative to. Yeah, you know, I, everybody was doing that with every album that they had replacing it. What blows me away about this band is they really had. If you consider "Use Your Illusion" both albums as just a double album, mm-hmm. they really only had four albums with the original members. And one of those was a cover album. Right. Two of them actually were, Lies had partial covers on it, right? So they really only generated two albums of original material, one of which was a double album. Mm-hmm. And they're in the lexicon of American pop culture as this unmistakable presence. Really, I mean, everybody knows this these songs. At a bare minimum, younger people would know it because they start every football game with you know some <laughs> right. variety Welcome of one the of jungle, these. Yeah, or, right. Yeah, Paradise City, right? Sure. You know, do we really need a sixteen-song album from them in 1991? As it turns out, not really. And we certainly didn't need two of them no. <laughs> on the same day. No, it's like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, well, let's let's get into here. I will say this one thing. I tried to research like the the um, uh, the family tree of this band, and then after a while, I gave up because I don't really give a shit. No. Like, I, at, at some point, these guys were all floating around LA at the same time, and either for whatever reason they couldn't stand, you know, the band that they were in, or the band that they were in to kick them out, and they all just kind of floated together at the top, and someone skimmed them off the, you know, skimmed them off the surface and said, "There, go find find a, you know, a garage. You guys are going to play in. There, they, I think they rehearsed in a, one of those. It's uh, like a um, container. Yeah, a container. In fact, I think they lived in it for a while, and they lived there too. Yeah, and they're all kind of, you know, they're there and they're making music, and they finally got that. Special sauce, just kind of like the Eagles did. They just kind of they they all magically found that special sauce there to make that one album that really propelled them into the superstardom. Great, good on you. Right. And I'm glad that they did. And if it were not for this kid who was sent in straight from Central Casting, get me a rock star that knows how to play the fucking guitar like a fucking rock star. And here comes Slash. Yeah. And like that was it. Like top hat, mop hair, and just shreds. Doesn't say a lot, but shreds. But is he is he a crazy good guitarist? As I was listening to the catalog, I'm thinking, okay, I'm hearing some things that are great, and I'm hearing some things that are decent. Yeah. Am I hearing virtuoso here? Oh no, I didn't not, pull that. Out Eric Johnson? No, no. no. no or not. even Eddie Van Halen. He's got some skills. I think he's along a little more along the lines of Keith Richards, where he gets a sound out of a guitar. Yeah. That's very distinct, yeah. and he is responsible for some of their biggest songs in terms of the writing of the music. Oh yeah, yeah. He lives on Jimmy Page's street. Yeah, I would agree with you. That. Know Jimmy Page owns that corner and forever will. 
but he he lives on that street mm-hmm. and and he's a big house on that street and and so yeah i i happen to think that he's one of the best that we have seen in american music in the past 40 years or so and and there's i think there's a reason why you're not picking it up in the the guns and roses music is because guns and roses music is kind of simple yes it's pretty simple yeah and i think that's because like you have to be able to play it live and these guys were notoriously fucked up Right. Every time they were on the stage. Yeah. And you can't play like virtuosic material when you're on. But if you, after he cleaned up and he went solo, listen to his shit with Miles Kennedy and even with Slither, uh, with uh, Velvet Revolver, mm-hmm. like he's really fucking good. Yeah. Let's go through these stats here. Slash OD'd multiple times, flatlined three times, drank so much Jack Daniels that his tongue turned black. Have you heard of that affliction? Okay. Don't know what that means. Steven Adler, the drummer, OD'd 28 times uh, with two heart attacks and a stroke that affected his speech for the rest of his life. Izzy Stradlin was in a coma for 96 hours. Duff McKagan, the band's bassist, who, by the way, his memoir? Terrific read. Awesome. He's a great writer. Terrific read. Yeah, if if you're into reading like memoirs of, of rock people, like he wrote this whole thing himself. He's a great writer, and uh, it's a great great story. Terrific. Read. I, I didn't I didn't think I was going to be interested in it. Yeah, it's great. I I thought it was going to be very sophomoric and and you know exactly or like ghost written. Mickey Sixes right yeah. ghost written, and it wasn't. I think he had a column for the Seattle yeah, newspaper, and, and, and he had a Stone. column for Playboy, mm-hmm. an economic column because he actually once he sobered up, he started taking classes and economics because he wanted to figure out how his residuals worked uh-huh. <laughs> and became pretty well educated yeah. and ended up getting a column with playboy based on you know an economic subject i don't know yeah he's a good dude i like him you know and he's, he is uh you know he's got a seattle root so he knows all those guys cornell was mm-hmm. famously he was the last person that talked to kurt cobain when they bumped into him in the in the in the airport there right. But Bases uh, developed an acute alcohol-induced pancreatitis at the age of 30. His pancreas swelled to the size of a football. And then exploded. <laughs> did you hear? And doctors told him he would be dead in four months if he did not quit drinking. And that's the other part of his story was his recovery, which is really touching. It's very touching. Yeah. And the, the numbers that he talks about in that memoir about what he was drinking, mm. he oh, was yeah. knocking down... 10 bottles of red wine, red wine a day. Yeah. Do you know what that would do to your gut? I mean, obviously something happened to his when his pancreas blew up, but that's just that much acid. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that's dude, unreal. These guys looked like, well, you got Slash and Adler are heroin addicts. I think Izzy also was a heroin addict. I think McKagan was on it too, and he shifted to alcohol to get away from the heroin. Right. And, you know, Axel, listen, I've never heard anything about Axel. But that motherfucker acts like a crackhead, and he fucking yells and screams, and and, yeah. he, and his just demeanor is like that. That dude's a base head. I think he's. I think <laughs> he's, he's got maybe some. Coke. Yeah, I think he might have some some other issues mentally. Ver- and, and he probably dabbled in the in the substances like the rest of them did. From West Lafayette, Indiana, by the way, only high school graduate in the band, <laughs> home of Purdue University. Oh, he's from West Lafayette. I knew he was from Indiana. I didn't realize that that was... uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking great. (laughs) All right. Axel, let's get into it. All right. You think you got anything else to say? Any other nuggets out there? Nothing that's really. (laughs) Still, I'm loaded. I've got I've got plenty of little little dribs and drabs I can drop along the way. I'm sure. Let's get into it. Okay, I think you started with the stones, so we will start with mine. Mm -hmm. 
For my honorable mention, I'm going to go to the Use Your Illusion album. It's on both of them, and the song is Don't Cry. Okay. It's my number two. Then we will table that until your number two. All right. For my honorable mention, I'm going off of Guns N' Roses Lies, the 1988 follow-up to Appetite, an acoustic jam, Patience. Said woman, take it slow, it'll work itself out fine. All we need is just a little patience. Said sugar, make it slow, and we'll come together fine. All we need is just a little patience. Nice ballad. I love the way that the guitar is mic'd up. Like that mic is right on top of the the guitar hole there. Okay. Really clean sound. I like the coda in the you know as they begin the end. Uh, the melod uh, the the melody of of them singing together the patience coda. It's uh, I really like it. It's a it's a it's a it's a lovely song. So this song made my list as well, but it didn't make it on the okay. top five. Okay. I found that it's, the, it's an honorable mention. The dr- oh, I'm good with that. <laughs> I found the droning patience, yeah, over and over again, a little wearisome. Yeah, I do have noted here the one good part of the song is him breaking into the I've been walking the streets yeah, at, night, the, yeah. at the end. I like the way he kind of rolls that out. his like crackling axel rose voice yes now did you do any research on his voice he is just shy of a six octave range which puts him in the same class as both prince and mariah carey i saw off of i forget what it's called now but it's a different website but they had the keys of the the piano Uh and they, they put all the singers up there he's the top of the list he has a seven octave range Okay. Mariah Carey is right underneath him, and then you have Prince and Steven Tyler, your guy, <laughs> number four. And then, you know, James Brown and Marvin Gaye. He has the lowest octave. Uh, well, I'm sorry, no. The lowest octave is Barry White. No, 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 no. He beats Barry White. He has the lowest octave, and Barry White is number two, and he is just shy of Mariah Carey as the highest octave. Mariah Carey can't go as low as he can. Sure. He has the widest range. And as I listened to this catalog, I was catching that aspect of him, like, God damn. Yeah. (laughs) I mean. There's a talent there. There's a talent there. There's what's seemingly an untrained voice, and I didn't do enough digging into him individually, apart from the fact that he's from where my son goes to school. I don't know. I don't think he was professionally trained. Oh, no. I think he came from a working class town, working class family, and didn't have the access to that sort of training. Yeah, he just let it rip. He just he just let it fly. Yeah, and I think that like when his when his voice blows out midway through the Use Your Illusion tour, you know, there you go. There you go. You know, uh, James Hetfield had the same problem, and he went to an operatic teacher and taught him how to basically right. cycle breathe or whatever the fuck they do. But he's a much better singer now. Good. I don't I don't know if Axel has done that because he doesn't give a shit did you, did you, <laughs> about his fans. <laughs> did you know his name is an anagram? Of course. What is it? Oral sex. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. 
That's like Elon Musk's cars. <laughs> That's right. The Model S, the Model E, X. We've already gone over that in another episode. <laughs> <I love it>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not beat that dead horse. Mm. Actually, Axel had a stalker. Oh, sex. That never, never, never no, it never to occurred me. to me either. <laughs> Axel spelled A X L. If you do it that way, then yeah. and that's how he spells it. Yeah, yep, it works. Uh, he had a stalker who believed they were married and that she communicated with him telepathically. Mm-hmm. I guess she like showed up at his house. She tried to move in. She tried to do all sorts of things, and eventually did a little time in prison. <laughs> and then, <laughs> at some time after that, she got out. And showed up at Justin Timberlake's house with all of her things so that they could rule the world together. So being famous doesn't always... (laughs) She sounds like a treat. (laughs) Being famous isn't always a good thing. (laughs) All right, my number five. I'm going with Anything Goes. Off of Appetite for Destruction, kind of a different song off this album. Has like a weird sort of, it's that instrument that looks kind of like a ribbed armadillo that they rub with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) And I should have looked up what it was. Emaciated armadillo? (laughs) It's like a Greedo or something. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's a uh, gimme shelter instrument. (laughs) Right. I just like the way it sounded when I heard it. I, it's it's a little different song for that album. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, they've they've got the Peter Frampton guitar effect going in it. Yeah, the squawk box. <laughs> yes, it's got a lot of variety in it. In it, yet it's somehow kind of basic at the same time. And I think you can use that to describe a lot of their songs. They're complex yet basic. Oh, and how? <laughs> and how? I mean. It fits for almost all of their songs. It's like they run out of ideas halfway through the song. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, all right I, chorus, chorus and verse again. We'll do it one more time. All right, all right let's do it one more time. Right. And, the chorus, verse. and then we'll, we'll drop some sound effects in here <laughs> yeah, to right. try to, you know, right. give Axel, us a little minute break and extend the song. Of, yeah, yeah right. do that. And a woman moaning, yeah, or, you know, good. emergency room sounds. All right, what's yeah. up next? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why it's number five. You yeah. know, it's it's... Kind of simple and basic, but again, you know, you, anything off that Appetite album was such a like, oh, wow, forgot about this, or yeah. haven't heard this in 35 years, whatever. I mean, I had the same kind of, like, feel, especially for the Appetite, because n- none of these other albums really did anything for me, but that Appetite song, I was like, yeah, oh my god, I forgot about that. Yep. That was really a cool kind of uh, walk down memory lane. Right. All right, what's your number five? Uh, well, just keeping on the same walk down memory lane. This, this, unfortunately, this uh, song has like like been burned in everybody's brain because it was so ubiquitous, especially when the video came out and and every, you know, it seemed to be on all the time. But it's got probably one of the coolest riffs ever written. The riff comes right out with it. Sweet child of mine. Thank you. 
It's a really boss riff. It's really cool. It's a warm-up riff that he used to use. Mm-hmm. I kind of learned how to play it, and uh, yeah, it warms your fingers up a lot. <laughs> I bet. Um, it's it's pretty damn cool when you get it down. But again, it's like it's one of those songs. It's like the first two and a half minutes is like pretty great song, and then oh we're oh we're gonna hear this song again right now. Okay, well then we'll just wait around for it. So I would argue that this song does a better job of of that transition than others because it goes from major to minor back to major and to minor again and then at the end it kicks into kind of a heavier a heavier track yeah you got to remember these are five relatively if not totally uneducated besides whatever they got out of primary school right individuals who were living in a fucking shipping container <laughs> and were all you know dealing yeah. with a smack addiction at the same time I think this song is excellent. I really, really like yeah. this song. I agree. Overplayed, and mm-hmm. you can argue that with a, lot of with, with a lot of their songs off that album. This is their number one song on Spotify. 1.6 billion listens. Jesus. Is that like 12 bucks? <laughs> Something like that. The uh, song is written about Aaron Everly, mm-hmm. who That's was wife. one of the Everly brothers' daughters. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, and it was Rose's first wife. They were married 10 months, divorced, then she accused him of abuse and ended up suing him. So, this is, and I'm not sure that this is verifiable, we'll call it internet detritus, it's supposedly the first video from the 80s to hit 1 billion views on YouTube. That sounds about right. I mean, it was extraordinarily popular. Right. (laughs) Slash in the bed with a snake. One hot girl after the next is leaving his bed. You know, like as a sixteen-year-old kid, you're like, "This is great." Yep, that's that's what we're, we're after there. I want to do that too. I, I want the twelve-foot python. <laughs> I think Axel sounds great in this. I, I think his, you know, both his sound and what he's singing. You know, the the lyrics are are yeah, good. They're no, good lyrics. They're clean in both his sound and clean in the spirit of the yeah, lyric. the content. You know, like, it's, a, it's a love song. It's very much like Patience. Like, you don't expect it really to come out of him, but there it is. Like, it's a it's a good ballad. Right, uh, right. Know, I'm a ballad monster. You, you know. are. <laughs> All right, that brings me to my number four. I'm going to use your illusion, and the song is You Could Be Mine. I just liked it as a as a good rock song. I thought it was a fun song. Everything kind of drives it. You can't say, you know, the bass does it or the guitar or the vo- whatever. Everything kind of drives the song forward. Once again, Axel sounds great. And I think they used this in a movie, didn't they? Didn't, was this one of the that, Terminator? That is how we... What I remember when we all freaked out when we were like, did you hear the new Guns N' Roses? Because Use Your Illusion hadn't been pressed yet. It was right. still doing... And so, like... Terminator 2 was coming out that summer. They cut a video that intercut scenes from the movie as kind of like a trailer and like sure. kind of hype for the a teaser. Arnold did, I want to say Arnold did like a line for the video and people, like, we lost our fucking minds because we're like, holy shit, 
the Guns N' Roses. <laughs> the Guns N' Roses. Like Guns N' Roses. Like they cut a new song, and did you see it? And it's Terminator 2, and it's gonna be the fucking greatest summer ever. And you know, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's number four. Yeah. I, you know, I like the guitar riff, that that driving guitar riff that they would you know incorporate yeah. as part of the, of I think the kid on the motorbike while he's parents are getting slaughtered by the Terminator. Right. You know the, that driving guitar riff. It was that's a very slash driven cool. song. There's really nothing unique to it. It just was kind of fun. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a it was a great memory. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, the Terminator 2 trailer. I remember we lost our mind that summer, yeah. just like waiting around for like both the movie and the new shit coming out. Right, it was pretty cool. All right, you're number four. So I'm staying. I'm staying on Appetite. I can't get away from like the really really good songs and the anthemic song. I love Paradise City. I love the intro where like Slash is like bobbling around on on his chords as he's like you know like kind of picking them through and before uh, Steven Adler comes in with the you know he must have gone to the school of rock, school of rock drumming from Alex Van Halen because it is very <laughs> simple yes Donkey Kong yes yes he is trying to kill a small animal yeah. with a medium sized you know, stick you wouldn't want Adler to do anything more with this song because like Axl Rose's voice drives the whole thing. Through. And it's great. I love it. I love it. And, and his lyrics are like, I, like when we were like singing it at you know at, at whatever stage of inebriation we were at, you had no idea what these lyrics were. No. You know, we had, I had Apple Music, and so like it pulls up the lyrics and everything, and it's like strapped in the chair of the city gas chamber. Why I'm here, I can't quite remember. I had no idea that was the lyric, but that's a good goddamn lyric. Right. I like it. You know, the lyrics are essentially like a hair metal song or a Van Hagar song when you think about it, right? Yeah. Like where the, the grass is green and the girls are pretty. It's, you know, it right. kind of has that feel yeah, to it. Yeah, it's like a cross between Poison and Greensworth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I think Axel sounds great. I, I love this song. I think this song is phenomenal. And, and again, you come to a song like this, a song like Sweet Child of Mine, washed in it. You know, ad nauseum, but you have to recognize the fact that they are what they are. And there's a reason you were watching it, because they were so good. Yeah. They were so energized. Absolutely. And and the reason why I'll still listen to them now is because it keeps the 15-year-old asshole in me alive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's not much... You know, I've tried to strangle that motherfucker and drown him because he was really worth not much. Tamp him down. <laughs> but you like you like to keep a little bit of that asshole around. Guns N' Roses is good for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they crush into the double-time ending, that's like face-melting. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part of it. They just really rip loose. Yeah. <laughs> All five members have a writing credit on this song, by the way. That's a rare thing. Yeah. There is a point where, and I don't know if while you were listening to it, it stuck out, but it stuck out to me like crazy. So they have a keyboard, and it's not even really prominent. Yeah. But the intro where you've got the the guitar and the drums that roll into the layered vocals, there's a, a sustained key hit. And when you, if you were to isolate that, you could put it right into the middle of any Cars song ever written. Oh, you 
yeah, right. It's a perfect Cars keyboard <laughs> tone. It's like I would like to be the like the guitar guy on stage with Guns N' Roses, who just comes out for the one note yeah. and then a little pitch bend, right? And then you and know, then slash kicks, a snort a coke, and off you go. Slash kicks him into the snake pit. Get out of here! But if you also listen very closely, the layered vocals, like you want to hear Axl Rose's really low octave, like it's there. It's so like, that's what I wanted yeah. to. I want. I meant to. I even made a note. Look into what that vocal is. I didn't know if they double tracked Axel and that's him singing, or is that him. Slash that's singing on the no, bottom? No, no, no. That's all. So that's, it is Alex. Low Alex. octaves. Yeah. It is Axel. Yeah. So low, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it sounds like it sounds creepy. If you were to isolate that, you'd be like, "Dude, there's someone in the basement." <laughs> Besides you and I on a Friday night. <laughs> well, listen, you know, 36 years ago, really rocking out in the back of a Camaro, <laughs> listening to this lukewarm GDs. Yes. <laughs> okay, my number three. I'm going back to Appetite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I this to, was going to happen. I had to make a concerted effort not to do oh, all man. songs off of Appetite. Oh. So Look, I, I looked at the spaghetti incident. I knew not one song. That was 1993. And there was nothing that I wanted to pull up. Oh, I didn't oh, recognize like, any of it except yeah. for a, a cover from like Nazareth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear really? the real shit from Nazareth. <laughs> except Love Hurts, of course. Spaghetti incident, I didn't care about. I didn't want to yeah. hear the Chinese democracy, did you look at the numbers around that in no. terms of what it took? So they had boosted that over time. Like they had played it up. All right, we're going to come out with a new album. And it kept getting longer and it kept getting longer. Yeah. It took 14 years yeah. and a cost of $13 million to produce. Well, these guys were, they, they really were idiots. One side called it the most expensive rock album ever. And it wasn't the four guys, the five guys. It was Axl Rose. Yeah, the rest no. of the band was gone. They were all gone. Point. So it was just rehab him. rehab or under their own other projects. Well, that fucking Use Your Illusion tour is the longest tour in history at the time. It's 190 dates. That's yeah. a lot. Two and a half years. It grossed. Guess what it grossed? $57 million. It's a lot of money. But I mean, in the arena, like they were playing the biggest arenas right. all over, like Leopard and U2 and even the Stones were making shit tons of money. It's these motherfuckers that needed two stages. Like we have one stage, but we're going to send the other stage ahead in the city because we don't want to wait around for the sound check because Axl Rose is a fucking crazy motherfucker. Yeah. And they just, and that's why Izzy Stradlin left the band. He's like, we're losing money. We're losing money. And he left before i want to say well he left before they went on tour or during the middle of the tour he's like i'm done with you fucking guys yeah this and is, also he's this is tiresome coma <laughs> right well that chinese democracy the numbers were crazy it actually had kind of an interesting sound i, I perused it it's kind of a mix of nine inch nails rob zombie and faith no more yeah like what's what, what the release date 2008 uh, something like that yeah like right in that like Music died for a little while there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was... And for a 14-year album at $13 million, you better have something that's memorable. And there really wasn't anything memorable right. on here. I didn't know any of it. I did hear a song called If the World...
that had kind of a different or interesting sound. Uh, his vocals sound different in the verses. There's some good rhythm to it. It surprised me. Do I bit. remember that he had the guitars from Limp Bizkit with him? I don't know. I think I remember something like that. Like, there's where you're at. Right. He's run, He's He switched out Slash for the dude from Limp Bizkit. <laughs> okay? And even if that's not true, that's where he's at. Well, and the, the original guitarist for the band was Tracy Guns. Tracy with two eyes. <laughs> And you know he wrote that with, like, bunny faces to dot the eyes. <laughs> well, we saw L.A. Guns open up for Leopard on their Hysteria tour. How were they? Uh, well, we did not see them. No. We heard them. <laughs> we were walking into the. I remember. Uh, and they only had one song, like the Electric Gypsy. I couldn't tell you a single song. No, they, I didn't know. Never had an album. Couldn't I, tell you anything they did. They, well, let's put it this way. They played the Thirsty Whale after the show. <laughs> it's like we had, Yeah. Right. Never mind. <laughs> well, and Guns N' Roses, the name comes from Axl Rose had a band called December Rose, I think it was. Hollywood Roses. Hollywood Rose. Yeah. That was it. And Tracy Guns was in a band, and, and they got together, and they formed Guns N' Roses, and Tracy Guns left before they named the band and before anything was written for Appetite, and Axl came up with the name Guns N' Roses. Right. Which is a pretty cool. iconic band name. It's cool. Right? Yeah. Okay, I think that brings us to... You were going to do your number three. I still haven't gotten to my number three. (laughs) Oh, all right. We got sidetracked. (laughs) You were on Appetite, and you you were talking about how you didn't want to make it all Appetite, but I knew that that was going to happen, and that's why I agreed to do this. (laughs) My number three is Night Train. Yeah, man. (laughs) I love this fucking song. I do. Feeling like a space break. I had written down here, I knew every fucking lyric, every word to this song. Get out of my train! (laughs) Fucking great, dude. You know, you talk about modeling your behavior to piss off your parents. This song is the recipe for that. It spoke to teenage me a hell of a lot more than it should have, for sure. And it's a fun song. Bottoms up. <laughs> it's a fun song. I do not want my children, you know, taking on this behavior as their means of <laughs> what, how can I get under dad's skin? Well, I hope this isn't it. Thankfully, it hasn't been. Just a great song. Really yeah. nothing to it. There's no history on it. Not at least none worth, you know. It's hard charging adrenaline, man. That's all it is. Jam it right in my neck. <laughs> fucking go. I'm fucking... Ready to slap down my five dollars for a fifteen-minute go-kart ride? No. I'm fucking shit-faced, <laughs> smoking cigarettes, getting kicked out, bitching the guy out. <laughs> this we, place sucks. We fucked up his uh, go-karts, and he kicked us out every weekend. We got kicked out. Well, sure, because they kept holding us to not ram them into each other, and that's all we did was try to drive each other off the track. We're going back to Yalta. Take us back to Yalta. You boys smell like alcohol. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> oh, man. All right, what is your number three? All right, the first time I ever heard this song, I think it was my first panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> 
not to laugh, not to laugh at your panic. And uh, listen, we got a deal because I was really high when I first heard it, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> we were riding in the car. I don't know why. It must have been just because the album just got released. But when I heard Coma for the first time, I fucking flipped out. This is my number two. Okay. Do oh, you- no, let's hit it. I, I flipped, fucking flipped out, man. And then I listened to it again because I hadn't heard it for probably 25 years. Absolutely. And I listened to it again. I, I, I remember Coma. Let me, let me see if I really. And I was taken on a journey. Like, this song is like the end for me. Like, it's, you, you lose time. It's great. It's fucking awesome. It's great. I, I'm not wrong. I didn't realize how good it was until this last week when I'm listening to the songs and I get through the Use Your Illusion, I get to Coma, and I'm like, I remember this song. Right. And I listen to it, I'm like, oh my God, this song's fucking great. It's fucking great, it's man. It's great. It's, it's, a, it's his magnum opus, man. It is his masterpiece. It's, like it's his master than, of puppets. Yeah, it's more than November Rain. November Rain right. is okay. right. This was fucking... It, it was a journey, man. And the, all the sound effects that go along with this song that aren't necessarily a song. Like, the doctor's, like, pulling him, you know, into the emergency room. You know, they got to revive him. And right. And there's the death sequence. You think, like, I'm just, like, I'm going to get bored after... Like, I'm not listening 10 minutes of this fucking song. And then you're seven and a half minutes into it, and they're just reviving him with the paddles. And you're like, Claire! <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's go. Bring him back. And then, like, it's it's awesome. Oh, it's I great. loved it. To me, and so as I was listening to their catalog, as I said, I listened to it in reverse for the most part. Right. I didn't start with Chinese Democracy. That felt like I would just want to quit Skip. and never do another podcast again. <laughs> so I, I didn't start there. Instead, I started with Spaghetti Incident, which was probably a worse decision. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I got to this song, and I was like, this feels like what they had done on Appetite and have been trying to recreate but not really trying hard because Lies was, yeah, it was a bucket of shit. Yeah, Use Your Illusion was, you know, you had a couple of sprinkled songs in there that were good and then the rest of it was garbage. It was, that's where I kind of was like, are they a punk band? Are they a rockabilly band? Right. They, what the fuck are they doing here? Yeah, it and felt then, like they had no direction whatsoever. Uh, well, yeah, because they did. Yeah. They're all fucked up. They're all fucked up and nobody took the helm from the record company to right. say, hey guys, look, you did this in 1986 or 5 or whenever Appetite came out. 87. And then you did Lies. That didn't work. So let's, here, we're going to give you some direction. And I, maybe they were just too pig-headed and said, fuck you. Oh, I would not gonna, bet on it. You know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to listen to you. We're, we're our own people. Right. I would bet on that. I mean, imagine if they got hooked up with like a Butcher Vig. Oh, God. It would have been un- unreal. Yeah, exactly. Or, or so, Mutt Lang. And, and so here you go. Here's 37 songs on two albums, and right. we're just going to market the shit out of the album cover because there's really not much else in there. Yeah, the four songs maybe off those two albums are decent. <laughs> and, and a quarter of them are covers. Yeah. It's going back to Coma. When they shock the body back to life.
And he comes back. He goes back to the same misery. It's so perfect. It's yeah. not like he comes back and like is an upswing to the song. No, this is a fucking dark ass song. It's like I fucking like. It's almost like listening to Dirt in ten minutes, right? Right. right. <laughs> and yet it's not as dark in terms of like the the feel of the music. Whereas Alice yeah. in Chains, everything felt oh, like yeah. you were saddled with this. Well, that's burden. just like wearing a wool coat in the rain. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. <laughs> No, the the riff in this song is awesome, yeah. but it's more than just that. I mean, at the beginning they got that heartbeat effect. I mean, that's that's yeah. that adds you know, that layer of texture that you're yeah. talking and about. And the flatlining, yeah, that's awesome. The man. blatant profanity is just pure Guns N' Roses. Yeah, like, and that's where I was listening to it. Like, ah, this feels like Appetite again. Well, and this was the first song that I had gotten to as I was going through their catalog, where I actually turned the volume up. Everything yeah. else I'd started at whatever volume I'd started at, like, okay, all right, all right. And I got to this, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had the same reaction. Because you're right, it's it's more, it's it's very organic. Yeah. It's very GNR. It's, it's kind of like a stream of consciousness feel. Yeah. But it was like the thread that goes through the song with that riff in particular, but just kind of like the, the story that he tells during that song. I, I loved it. I thought it was fucking great. One thing I saw said, Slash wrote it. And the song is about coming out of a coma, not going into one. And it's essentially his story about heroin addiction. Right. Yeah. And I took his, like, there's the, the, the death sequence where, like, it's a very slow part of the song where he's, you know, Axel is like this, you know, floating away or something like that. Right. It's, it's almost like he's in, like a near death suspension. And then they, and then it comes back and it's like the hard driving thing. And then they're clear. Right. <laughs> I right. love that shit, man. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. All right, that brings us to the fantasy concert lineup. I've kind of wrestled with this a little bit because, as we had said earlier, what band out there is like Guns N' Roses? Right. And there's a lot of bands that can kind of go with them. What's like them? I found two that one's a little heavier than the other. And that first one, and I don't know much about this band. I've kind of recently discovered them more. The band is Tool. Aggressive. Yeah. Like a prog Doesn't metal. that one dude have a doctorate in, like, jazz guitar? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I, As I said when you showed up, I just finished researching this uh, <laughs> about five minutes before you got in the door. Gotcha. And typically I try to do a little background look into the bands for the, for the concert lineup, and I, I didn't get to it. I've also been on the road for, like, seven out of the eight last weeks. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm back on the road. Next Monte week. Carlo, <laughs> oh yes, Nice Leon, all the all the progressive thinking hotspots. Paris, Paris, Texas. Yeah, Paris, Texas would probably be nice. Yeah. And then, because we are in such a fucking male-driven thing here, we've got the the five assholes from Guns and Roses, and mm-hmm. then you know all the dudes from Tool. The four assholes from Tool. <laughs> right. Guys in Tool driving around, it's like, hey, no. what did I do? <laughs> 
Why am I catching shrapnel? Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here, and we're gonna go with a female fronted band, and we are gonna hear the Breeders. Pixies. Mm-hmm. Kim Deal, the bass player, left the Pixies and started the Breeders. Yeah, I I really like their sound. Cannonball's a great tune. Again, a little edgier, not quite as heavy necessarily, but you can marry it up with some of the the less heavy stuff that GNR did, and I think you'd have a pretty good pairing. Plus, you get away from the all penis brigade <laughs> of what we have going. All right, spring a little L7 in there too. <laughs> I thought about that. <laughs> All right, who's All right, in well, your lineup? I'm keeping the penis brigade going. Oh, then. I guess good. I'm the only one. You I'm, can I'm never only, have enough penises. I'm the only man around here. I'm the only, <laughs> what do we call it, male positive? <laughs> Slash deserves his own part of this. He's really the, the talent of the band. And he shows that talent off when he went on his solo, uh, solo acts, Slash's Snake Pit, right when he left GNR. But I'd like to celebrate these, like, Slash is a dyed-in-the-wool rock star. Yes. There's not a lot of them out there. No, I put him in a similar vein to, like, Dave Navarro from... Exactly. Jade's Addiction. Just a, you know, a swervy, like, kind of guitar-fucking-hero rock star. We don't have many of them. I didn't even put Dave Grohl in that section. I His project... That I would agree with that, my, by the way. Yeah, Dave, Dave Grohl like, doesn't Dave fall like, in that same category. He's a cool as, dad out there who yeah. plays, plays music with his friends. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you there. Around this time when Slash kind of disappears uh, from the landscape, you know, somebody filled that void... And I'm fucking ashamed to admit this myself. I'm turning beet red here, but like I, those first two Creed albums. Oh my god, are not bad. No, and Mark Tremonti is a damn good guitarist. <laughs> and you know what? I want to see. I want to see these three of those songs. Okay? So let's go there. Let's make our escape. Come on. Gotta cut Scott Strap's brakes there. He's got no range at all. You know, but you're, you're a dick. <laughs> this know. means I gotta listen to Creed. <laughs> Probably a lot longer than you might think it takes to drop the song. Listen, dig around in that catalog and pick out a good nugget. <laughs> oh, you're gonna make me even search for this song too. What an asshole. Oh uh, my god. So, you know, I wanna hear a little um, so rather yeah. slam my genitalia in a car door. Well, <laughs> is that an option? That's what it takes. Um, and then another absolute rock star. Not not to say that Creed was, but I do want to hear them because 
I do. They're the guilty pleasure I have in the early 2000s. I told you, fucking music died. There was nothing left. I'm telling you right now, I'm picking their top played song, and that's as far as I'm digging into that catalog. I'll have final cut. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to go back and rework those a couple of times. Give me a a deep cut off of human clay. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh wow! All right, but this guy, uh, the next guy, we, we're going to kick them off really quick. And the next guy that we're going to bring out is a bona fide rock star. Came from the same central casting that Slash did. As a matter of fact, went to Beverly Hills High School with Saul Bellows. Right? Isn't that Slash's name? Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know him because he he had a lot of very popular songs in the early two thousands, and his look is just fucking killer. He's such a cool dude. I got his album in uh, 1989, his debut album, Let Love Rule. I want to see Letty Kravitz. That fucking dude rocks. I saw the tour where he, whatever the Are You Gonna Go My Way album was. Yeah. That was like the year after we graduated college. Yeah. It was like 95, 96, yeah, 90, somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood. He was unreal mm-hmm. live. And oh, he's awesome. He had the female drummer who was just yeah. thundering away behind the band. What a treat to see that guy. He was a lot of fun. So the Let Love Rule album is very much... He's like a guitar hero that's masquerading as a flower child. A, a lot of this album was written when he was married to Lisa Bonet. He's a very soul singery type stuff. His every song on that album is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's some of it is hard rocking, but a lot of it is soul music. And that album in particular is one of my favorite albums of all time, you know, right next to Human Clay. I th- <laughs> I think his talent to go from silky to yeah. Rockin' heavy, like, are you going to go my way? Right. Is really something else. Do you know whose mom was? Yeah, she's Flo, uh, Miss, Miss Roper. No, she was on. Uh, she was the, she was the, on, the actress who played the, the, the black woman married to the white guy living across the hall from the Jeffersons. The Jeffersons, that's what it is. Yes. Uh, I used to know her name. Uh, I don't remember it. But the, the one track in particular, I Built This Garden, is just a man that's just emptying his soul. And darling, when you go, I hold you tight and keep you warm. Little girl, I'm gonna make you do the storm. You'll never be alone. I built this garden for us. I built this garden It's a really beautiful song, so that's a really cool. That's a good pick. I will see him. I will see him twice instead of going to see <laughs> going to see fucking Scott Stapp. Oh crap! All right, my number two. You called that out already. It is Coma 
we've already talked about it, and that brings us to your number two, which was my number two, five. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is Don't Cry. Right. Something's changing inside here, and don't you This was an excellent ballad to heavy transition. And they've done that in other songs. Mm-hmm. And they do a good job of it here. I, I couldn't quite understand why there were two versions of the same song on the double album. The second version is terrible. I didn't really tell that big of a difference. Now, well, the lyrics are bad. And I, that's what I saw with it, is it had alternate lyrics. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't dig deep enough into it to really figure out what the difference was from A to B. I just liked the, the sound. Shannon Hoon was the uh, vocalist on this, mm-hmm. the backing vocalist, and he was a backing too. vocalist on a handful of other tracks, also from Lafayette, Indiana, and that's how they knew each other. Oh. This song was supposed to be on Appetite, but they couldn't get the sound right. You know, the, the, the faithful that listen to this podcast know that like most of my music is tied to the visuals of the video, because you know, I was a creature of MTV. This video is one of the best videos, that are, like one of my most memorable videos. I, whenever I hear this song, I can play the entire video in my head. <laughs> Could be like, you know, a frozen Axl Rose like creeping through the winter, like with his gun and his bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and like this like he's caught in this in this realm between the living and the dead, and you know, we were introduced to his then girlfriend Stephanie Seymour and all the other Victoria's Secret models that these boys seem to attract around in their main popularity. Their magnetism for attractive females was strong. And it's a it's a it's a great song about guilt and jealousy and you know right at that time that was the tea that I was sipping. (laughs) That was all me. With your pinky in the air. Yeah. The video itself is like them just being like he, Axl Rose is out of control. The entire band is out of control with their drinking and their partying and the, you know all these gorgeous women around. And it's just like they're completely oblivious to everything else but their own debauchery, right? Right. It's a great song. I love it. I love the breakdown at the, the very end of it. And uh, yeah, Shannon Hoon is in the video. He plays, uh, he almost looks like Axl's double on the rooftop there. Let's say he's on a roof singing. Yeah, the, on the helipad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the best part of the video is when Slash is driving his fastback Mustang up a mountain road and his girlfriend is, like, crabbing at him. <laughs> and he's, like, he's got this wicked She's smile. hitting him, isn't she? No, well, I don't know. But, like, he's he's getting an earful from her and he just puts this wicked smile on and drives over the fucking cliff <laughs> and the car explodes. And then there's Slash at the top of the mountain doing his guitar solo and then he throws his Les Paul over the mountain. It's like, yeah, man, yeah, fuck it all. Root it all. Fuck it. Let's do this. <laughs> And I just, that's awesome. I love that shit. The song was written before Guns N' Roses was formed. Yeah. It was written by Axel and Izzy. And so they had tried to get it into the Appetite album, and, you know, they just couldn't figure it out. Well, it turns out that that was a good thing, because really, I mean, Use Your Illusion 1, it's like Don't Cry, and then 2, they did Live and Let Die, which was good. It's a a good cover. It's good.
and Knocking on Heaven's Door, I think, was on two, right? Was that on Usual Illusion two? I don't, I don't remember. Even know. I did, but it's like no. like it another another good Usual. cover, but yeah. it's a cover. It pretty much carried Use Your Illusion, Don't Cry Did, because that video was very, very popular, probably because of the Victoria's Secret models in it, too. But it was also a good song. That, I, didn't, that didn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and November Rain, right. Of course, that was hugely popular, too. Correct. Okay, that brings us to our number one. I'm interested. I wonder if we came on the same one. I don't know. It is off of Appetite. Yes. My number one. Rocket Queen. Oh, <laughs> not mine, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Great riff. Mm-hmm. The bass carries it through the verses. Duff like it just gets keeps his, Duff yeah. gets his due. <laughs> Duff is, and I know you're not a bass no, he's, listener. He's good. Listen to, to where they put him in the mix. He's up there. Yeah. And he's he's not just doing the sixteenths. He's he's bopping around, yeah. he's adding some texture. I like him a lot as a as a musician. I like him as a as a person too. Yeah. Well him and Slash too. I've heard a lot of interviews from Slash too, and he's a very well spoken individual that like is very thoughtful about the you know his music and also the things around him. Right. Like him and Duff are. Yeah. I think Axl Rose is a punk-ass bitch. I agree. I wouldn't spend five minutes no. with him. No, he's the kind of guy you look at and you're like, I, I'm not going to piss in your mouth if your teeth are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just that, that that kind of smarm and this record, you know, history of him showing up to concerts like three years late or three hours late. <laughs> yeah. Three years. Three hours late while the while the audience is, is you know, getting more and more agitated. You think about crowd crushes and the amount of All right. know, health hazard you're talking about by firing up a crowd of thirty or forty thousand people. Well and he left a he left a show mid show because some woman in the audience was filming him with a with some sort of yeah, yeah, videotaping yeah, yeah, yeah. him, and so he ran out and he I think he hit her, and then he's like, "Fuck, security's so shitty here, I'm leaving." Right, and then he walked yeah. off, he left the stage, and that was it, they were done. There was no bigger tour during the '90s than Metallica and Guns N' Roses, and when uh, James Hetfield got his face blown off by a fire pot on stage, Hetfield had later said in an interview, "He's like, yeah, Axel could have really saved the day there because I was in, you know, obviously in a bad way with fucking third degree burns on my face." in my arms and he could have saved the day by going out and playing a monster set and he decided to throw a temper tantrum yeah the sound was off because the you know whatever had fucked up you know the hoses or whatever had screwed up by putting out the fire sound was off so he walked out and that's when the riot I think it was in Toronto but it was a riot you it's know, a dick started. move. He's a dick. He's a, a dick. It's an absolute dick move. You think about the fact that your fans are the people. That the fans are the reason you're on stage. He doesn't give a shit about his fans. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Right. You know. I think Rocket Queen is great. The flanger on Axel's voice over the choruses. That's that's a chef's kiss right there. Kind of an interesting bridge towards the end where they switch the rhythm and the key of the song. I think that would be 
kind of an anthemic sort of moment mm-hmm. to see live. And Axel gets way up there in the vocals. He's yeah. high. The love so there's a there is a drop in the middle of the song of a woman enjoying some sort of sexual pleasure. That was him and right him and some woman. It was him and Steven Adler's girlfriend. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Quality guy right there. <laughs> right? She had apparently rolled into the studio one day with the idea that she wanted to make Steven Adler envious or jealous of her. Apparently wasn't paying enough attention to her. Uh. At the same time, Rose had been brewing this idea that I want to capture me fornicating on tape and use it on a song. Yeah. And so he... It's an artiste. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, it's for the art, Nick. It's for the art. I art. So he floated this idea past Adler's girlfriend, who apparently was like, all right, sure, why not? And the sound guys set the mics on the floor in one of the booths right. and turned the lights real low. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was romantic. Yeah, you know, recording it. Who fuck my, gar- my drummer's girlfriend? <laughs> I guess the engineer, the head engineer, was like, I really don't want to be a part of this. So he got it set up, and then he left, and he let the assistant engineer kind of do the the actual recording. The miking? So, yeah. <laughs> we didn't put that mic right up his ass. The, the, his ass the, sings three octaves. <laughs> the album credits him as his first name, middle name in quotes is fucking last name as the engineer of record for that song and that's where the where it came from was because he was the guy who mic'd them for the sex scene. Anyhow, I don't know. I heard that song, made me smile. Great song. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Because you knew that you were coming back around to uh, Welcome to the Jungle because Rocket Queen, I think, was the last song on the second side. You just pop the tape over. Pop the tape. <laughs> or you, you go. If you had auto reverse, man. <laughs> <laughs> you had that fancy car. Yeah, that's right. Okay, what's your All right, I'm off of Appetite. And it ain't Welcome to the Jungle. I think there's only one song left that we haven't named. (laughs) And it's Mr. Brownstone. Opening the chicka wah that Slash gets on his guitar. Yep. This one wrestled for my list as well. <laughs> Get on the bus around 11, sipping a drink and feeling fine. That might have been my favorite lyric of the 80s. Yeah. I don't worry about nothing. No. That old man, he's a real motherfucker. <laughs> I love it. It's great. It's great, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great anthem. Mr. Brown's home, I think, is heroin. Yep, right? Yep. And doesn't he call out, like, Slash, slash and, and uh, Stephen Adler there's uh, a, there's on stage? There's mixed opinions on whether it's heroin or their heroin dealer. But it is no. heroin. Oh, no, yeah, Mr. Brown. Yeah, whatever. Right. But, I mean, that's what he's talking about. And he calls them out. as like, you know, some of my bandmates have to stop seeing Mr. Brownstone. Right. And so, like, yes. You know, he got. He was fed up with his rhythm section being stoned out of their gourds and not able yeah. to do anything. Well, I just love it. It's just a great, you know, marching tune for us 15-year-old assholes. Oh, yeah. The pseudo-funk beat to it yeah. is kind of, kind of good. The lyrics are great. I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That, that's that's a great breakdown. Too. It's a, it's an upbeat song about heroin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's all in a major key. Which right. you know, for a song about a narcotic, it's fun. It was a fun listen to. As soon as that that was the one that popped out. As soon as I listened to that album over again, I was like, oh yeah, that's that. It's it's so easy as a is a good song, but like Mr. Brownstone was like that. That was really the one that kind of got us going. Right, that was a lot of fun. Right. All right. Before we get to our most hated, yeah. you noticed a, an absence of a handful of songs from mine. I looked at Paradise City. I looked at Sweet Child of Mine. And I looked at Welcome to the Jungle, and I said, I kind of feel like these three are Pantheon songs. Oh, okay. I kind of feel like the impact they had on us at that age, sure. the way that they sounded, the way that they've lasted. And yeah, we've been basing in it like bad turkey. But, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you have to recognize the fact that these guys wrote these three songs Coming from a place that wasn't exactly well-educated or, you know, they didn't know a lot about music. And they turned out three songs that have lasted for 35, 40 40 years, years, right? Welcome to the Jungle. notes of that first song of the best-selling album in U.S. history. It's iconic. Overplayed, yes, but iconic. The scream Axel lets out while that intro runs. It's epic. And the song bounces back and forth, major to minor. It's kind of a cool twist for a band like this. The instrumental portion before Alex says, you know where you are, you're in the jungle, or you're going to die is great that uh, the guitars and bass are running back and forth against each other cool song is about Los Angeles and it was arranged in a day wow it's a complex song (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot going on a lot going on in there it's a great song so is Paradise City so is Sweet Child of Mine so I'm gonna I'm gonna drop them in my pantheon I'm good with that that's cool alright that brings us to The Most Hated as much as uh, we've talked about his lyrics and how much we enjoy him and everything like that, history just caught up with him. He's, he's got some very problematic lyrics, the way he phrases things about the, you know, his certain type of misogyny, uh-huh. uh, a lot of racism, uh-huh. a lot of you know, anti, homophobia, yeah, a lot of anti-gay, anti-police too. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I heard those, I knew those songs, you know, I knew those lyrics and everything like that, but I was just like, wow. This would never get released. It's just there's no there's no point to it. Yeah, there's really no play. There's point no to point it. to it. And and oh yeah, an anti-immigrant too. Yeah. And the song <laughs> that you're talking about is one in a million. One in a million. Yeah. You're one in a million. Yeah, that's what you are. You're one in a million, babe. You're a shooting star. They re-released some big bunch of songs, and I don't know exactly what happened to them. 
but they originally had this song in there. They ended up pulling it out. They didn't re-release it with this. Yeah, they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be associated with it anymore. And I get it. Like, listen, there's, there's a lot of artists that have made, you know, recordings that you wouldn't necessarily make again. And sure, I don't have to like it, so I'm not. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm with <laughs> you, know? you. So Rose told Rolling Stone in 1989, he essentially said. Well, black people call each other that all the time. Why yeah. can't I? Right. Well, all right. Granted, 1989. Holy cow, does that not age well? No. But, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been litigated. We, and, and then when, when it's, he... It's not your word. Right. right. And, we're going to go on. We're moving on. Yeah, we're moving on with that. And when he was asked about the homophobic slurs that he drops in there, he said he had bad experience with homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, that's, this is a narrow that's astonishing. view of the world. That's astonishing. You know, and... So I had off of, and, and maybe it was because as I listened to Lies, and actually as I listened to Lies, those first four or so live songs, they're not bad. They're not bad. They're not, they're not, I don't seek them out. <laughs> I would rather have, and I, I'm not even sure if they are, I think some are covers. I, are they all covers? I don't know. Or are they all originals? I, yeah, I don't know. I would rather, if they were originals, I would have rather have heard the, the studio versions of those songs to mm. see if that would have been a little different. But yeah. I got to the last half of that album, and every one of those songs made my most hated list. Yeah. One in a million. Patience. Used to love her. just didn't do it for me it was they they had some killer ballads this yeah. isn't one of them i mean i like to sing used to love her around the house when nobody else is around because i love the way his voice sounds right. in that she bitched so much she drove me nuts like it's just <laughs> but, but, dumb but the song itself is outrageous yeah uh, yeah, and then he, and then they redid "You're Crazy," mm-hmm. which is a great song off of Appetite, and then they unplugged it. This yeah. is not an unplugged band. No, it's not. Why did you do that? That like, look, these guys well, listen, got, they, you- they, they found so much success off that first album, and I think they just the, the record company was like, "Hey, boys, here's Go a station it. wagon full of cash." Yeah. And listen, GNR Lies was an awful album. It has no merit whatsoever besides that one song. It sold five million albums. Yeah, be, well, just because it drafted just because off, it, right? It drafted off the appetite, and you know that's that's what the rocker company said. It's like just put something out, just put anything. Out. You got fucking live coach, just put it out there. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll slap a lies on it, and boom, done. We've got, we've got a follow up here, yeah. and it's going to make a ton of money. Yeah, and they, and they weren't wrong. And the problem that I have with one in a million lyrics aside, and, and that's hard to do, is put those lyrics aside. It's probably the, the better studio song on the album mm-hmm. in terms of the writing of the music. Oh well, what are you going to do? Did you have any more in the oh, most hated yeah. category? Uh, Civil War. When everybody's fighting for the promised land, I don't need a civil war. It feeds the rich while it marries the poor. The power always tells us to dinner. Human growth restore and spread. Yeah. 
people like it, it's pablum. It's just straight pablum. I mean, it's, it is a bad protest song. I get what he's saying. He's trying to duplicate the Stones. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I heard when I heard it. I'm like, okay, yeah. you're not you're not Keith. Even the drum beat is kind of like yeah. uh, sympathy for the devil. You're not Keith and Mick. It's like, let's, do, let's not do this. And if you really want to see the contrast between how brilliant of a song that sympathy for the devil was, just put those two against each other. And you're like, they're trying to do the same thing. And Axl Rose is like a kindergartner in there. It's so obvious what he's talking about, and it's just such a bad version of a protest song. It's not, it's, and it goes on forever. It's long. I, I actually like the song itself. I think the music's not bad, <laughs> but the lyrics, yeah, lyrically, it's like, okay, there's an art to making these right. a little more subtle, and, where you've got to dig for the message. When you find the message, you're like, oh yeah, like I found the nugget. I found the Easter egg. He wrote it in 1991. There's no, no Vietnam, buddy. No. Like there's no like Desert is, Storm was. Yeah, it was, was like, going, but that, that, that was it. It was a seventy-two hour war, yeah, right. and you're entering a time period for like about eight years where the you know the United States is kind of like chill. There is no <laughs> civil war. Take right. it easy, buddy. <laughs> I don't like getting the ring. That goes for all you punks and oppressed that want to start shit by printing lies instead of the things we said. That means you and your session hit parader, circus magazine, Nick Wall at Kerrang, Bob Guzzioni Jr. It's been what you pissed off because your dad gets more pussy than you. Fuck you. It's another one of those, you know, Al- Axel to me seems like, you know, he's this this willowy guy who really thinks that like he's a lot stronger or like a lot, lot more of a badass than he really is. And this whole get in the ring film, he wants to take on Bob Guccione Jr. Yeah. Because you, what, he shit talked your music? Buddy, your music sucked. Like, lies sucked. I did. And that's what he said. I, I had a similar feel for that get in the ring. I was like, what are you really going after here? Yeah. This doesn't like, make sense. You're a pipe cleaner, dude. I'll twist you around. Right. Like, what the fuck are yeah. you talking about? I, I, I'm with you. I think he thought he was a lot cooler and better and whatever yeah. than he really was. I the, the, the whole band must have been just completely zonked out during those whole recording sessions because all of Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, all of the shitty songs, I think it's all just Axel. It just seems like it's a lot of Axel coming through. There's almost no Slash. You don't really look at Use Your Illusion 1 or 2 and you're like, oh, wow, Slash really, no, that was good. That was I good. kept was listening for that. Nothing. And that's where I kind of came up with that comment of like, is Slash a virtuoso? Is he really a great guitar player? Think, and I you can't he... hear it in those two no, albums. He was really in the throes of it, I think. And he actually Actually, in Appetite, uh, some of the songs he's got some pretty good solos in, but it's not like you hear this thing over and over again. And I think you're right. I think, A, he gets off the shit, and B, he gets out from under Axl Rose, and now you can hear it. Because when we were talking about one of his bands in the past, might have been Velvet Revolver, uh, for the Stone Temple Pilots episode, as I went through and listened to those songs to drop them in, I was like, Oh yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah. Like not just the yeah. sound, well, you can but the see skill. It. Yeah, in November Rain is like that. His solo in November Rain is almost like it's notorious amongst guitar players right. as being like you know his one of those. best. Yeah. yeah, and 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 there's no lie. Like there's there's a lot of skill to stitch that together and 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 to play that. So, but right. yeah, like this guy, like this band, just kind of like got high on its own supply and never really recovered. Like, <laughs> and everybody else's supply. Yeah, too. really, and it's never really recovered. Like use your illusion one and two is kind of an insult because. He, got four songs there two of them are covers and the other two are okay and you know and and then two albums right 36 songs like dude come on it's it's really something (laughs) but yeah and here they are like guns and roses like when people name like what's the best band of the 80s guns and roses is always on that list it's certainly on the top 10 it's crazy right yeah (laughs) all right coolest four seconds
had the intro to Right Next Door to Hell on Use Your Illusion 1 because <laughs> it had a great chunky bass. Never heard the song before <laughs> that I know of or that I can remember, and I was listening to the catalog and I'm like, "Ooh, I like that!" So I'm throwing that on. I like the double harmonies on "It's So Easy." It all fits so right, and Axel's voice gets doubled, but he gets doubled like really high yeah. and really low. That's cool. I like that too. Why don't you just fuck off? <laughs> but one of the other parts, that's a, I like that part of the song, but then it's like, then he goes into that, you know, this misogynistic stuff, and I'm like, eh, all right. That's right. why I didn't make my list. I'm like, all right, I don't need any of that. <laughs> yeah. Misogyny is a vein that runs throughout that. Yeah, band. I mean, like I'll take it small doses, but when like you're like out there with it, like okay, I don't know. I had in coma where Axel screams, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. and then yells, "God damn it!" Yeah. And it's priceless. Yeah. A lot of cool shit to that song. <laughs> it's a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff. Drop that November Rain solo. The November Rain solo really is is nice. Or at least parts of it. It's a long solo. It's a long it solo. It goes on for a while. The sound that he gets out of that guitar is like that slashes sound, right? That's the sound that you hear on Appetite a lot, and like the way it just—it's it, got a different type of hum to it. Like yeah. that—that that his tone of his guitar has got just a—it's a very melodic solo. Like it's—it's yeah. it, it's got a, a flow to it. And you're right; it has a, like a buzzy hum, a different sound time. to that guitar. That's yeah. that's good, and it's cool. Sisters of Mercy. No. I'm good. I don't need any yeah. more of these guys. It's a like, fun, fun memory ride. Yeah. As I listened to it, I was saying, why? Why did we devour this mm-hmm. album to the point where 35 years later, I can still remember every lyric? Why did this thing blow us off the stage <laughs> so much more than anything else that came out in that time frame? Well, we talked about this um, maybe in the R.E.M., episode where you know van halen and def leppard were kind of like those were our entry drugs right right and those you could you could pound that shit all day that's 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 miller light shit like you could pound it all day and not feel the effects of it rem was kind of like you know your your manhattan that you have on a wednesday night and gnr was the this was the band that 
before there was Alice in Chains, before there was Dirt, this one struck the nerve for us. We were looking for something to rebel against. We it's, were looking for our anthemic, like, fuck you music. This was it. And that's what I settled on as well. Yeah. This was the precursor to grunge. Yeah. It's not grunge. Yeah. But it was the precursor. It was the taste. It was the, okay, there's something out there that's heavy, like Kiss, maybe, if you wanted to try to compare it like that. Yeah. But it's not campy like Kiss. It's not makeup and whatever. It's got edge. It's got angst. It's got that aspect of, this is really going to piss my dad off. Yeah. Especially when I'm playing it at 10, <laughs> yeah, right. when he comes rolling in the down the driveway from the office and hears the Fuck windows. Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. Here's the windows rattling. But no, I'm with you. I have no interest in really pursuing any. I didn't add anything to a playlist. I didn't have anything on a playlist already. No. So none of that's changing. Uh, I, no, I do take that back. Coma is on one playlist that I have. Yeah. Because I just really... It's a fun song. It's a fun song. (laughs) So that brings around the Cars question of them moving music forward, which I think is kind of a tough question. There was an article on Grammy's website that said Appetite was like one of the most influential albums. My catalog of music may not be broad enough to have the vision to see that. And it... I don't know if that's... I think it is. Is it? <laughs> We're alive during this time. <laughs> well, that's... But I don't see Appetite as being that influential. I No. Maybe that's... Neither do I. Maybe it opened the door for grunge to kind of do what they did. I And don't. Metallica to, to flourish more, because Metallica was already doing their thing by that point. I think Kill em Out came out in, what, 84 or Kill 85? Kill Em All and, and Master were already out. They were already out by that point, yeah. so... No, Alice in Chains uh, and Nirvana did it give them the, the really avenue? Don't I don't think know. So. I, I, I don't think so. They were just a harbor light to get from one point to the next. It was just like, you know. It's probably a better way to think of it. We didn't, here's a dissolvable life preserver. By <laughs> <laughs> the time it dissolves, well, you'll be on the thing, dry land of grunge. I said about, like, you know, it's like they, they run out of ideas like halfway through their song. It's very disposable music. Like, it's good. We liked it, but yeah. it's disposable. Like, we don't really need it anymore. Well, and to be fair, you know? we also had the tastes of 15-year-olds right. who were drinking. Yeah, but again, this, this, these guys never evolved. No. There was no evolution here. User illusion number one and number two is not an, an evolution from Appetite. Appetite is like, that was it. That was their money shot. Yep. And that was like, like I said, like that's the harbor lights. Like that, that's the direction that we're going. Right. Then <laughs> when you roll over, it's like, where, where did the harbor light go? Well, they're down <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean. Now we're in rocky water. <laughs> well, they tried to do it with Chinese democracy. It took Terrible. them fucking thirteen years to do it, yeah. and you know nobody knows a song off of it. Acidic personalities and drug addicts, and you know that's you know it's like yeah, I see right. a lack of evolution, and that's why they died because these months. Remember, they were this is eighty seven. And they were like the, the the you know the most dangerous band on the planet, and they did not evolve, and they got eaten up by the dinosaurs from Seattle and from you know other you know Metallica sure. and the other bands that just ate them up. They just yeah. ate their lunch for them. Like right. thanks, thanks guys. We'll take it from here. Yep. yep. <laughs> we'll take it from here. You badasses. MVP here. I'm going with indulgence, debauchery, and chaos. I, there's just no other no other tie-in. Yeah. That's what brought me in. As a listener, was oh this yeah, sort as of, our fandom, yeah, goes. this you know, as a from a fan standpoint, yeah, and that fan standpoint is what got them where they were, yeah, and so that's where I'm giving the credit to. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a <laughs> an honorable thing, but it is what it is. 
Well, no, that's why they're important to us, right? Because they were with us. They were riding shotgun with us. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, we were like, sucking down warm <laughs> Miller Genuine Draft. Yeah. We had them in the back seat. I'll go along with that. Rankings. Skill. Their talent, I have at a 2.25. So I have um, I have written here a 3.5 because you've got Slash, you've got mm-hmm. Axel with that crazy vocal range. And you got a pretty decent bass player in Duff McKagan. Now Adler and Stradlin are, are easily replaceable. So three and a half is probably higher, but I'll, I'll drop that down to a three. Yeah, we'll split the difference yeah. at two and, two and three quarters. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Image, it's a five. You like? All right. It's a five. Well, I mean, to 15 year old me, see, that's what I did. 15-year-old me, it's a hard five. I took the 15-year-old me and I gave it a hard five. And then I took the 51-year-old me. Oh, it's a it's a half. And I split the difference and I came out with a 3.5. <laughs> and that makes sense. Yeah. I'm with you. But I can only view this band through 15-year-old yeah, me. They caught an amber for us yeah, in, right? in 1987. And, you know, as they, as they never evolved to anything else. Right. Like, there they are in 1987. They're just fossils. Catalog, you could argue it's a one. It's but, a two, yeah, but, I did it a two, but, but I could talk the, into a one. <laughs> so you could argue it's a one, but given the success of that debut album, I had him as a two. Yeah, I have a two too. And this, and so this, this will drop Guns N' Roses down to the very bottom of our list. <laughs> have you still been keeping yeah. calculations? Yeah, on I that? do. Yeah, all right. I should post it sometime <laughs> on Facebook or something like that. All right, folks. Thank you very much. Appreciate listening. Yeah, this was fun. Keep dropping your comments on our Facebook page. That really, really keeps us going. Yeah. There's nothing more that tells us that folks are listening. The numbers are the numbers, but that really tells us that you guys are actually listening. That and it, positive interaction with social right. media is so rare these days. Right. It warms our cockles. Warm your own cockle. 